Well, I want to thank you for uh, joining me for what uh, could be just a uh, a recollection on the cutting room floor, but we're going to do it anyways. Well, we just recorded a, a new edition of Georgia College Connections in which we invited Matt Ressing, our resident Supreme Court watcher, to come to talk with us about the 2018-2019 session of the Supreme Court. We commonly do this around Constitution Week, which of course is a celebration of the Constitution that takes place each September. But we're, we're doing it right now at the end of that session as these decisions are fresh on our minds. And one of the things that is extremely fresh, at least on the mind of Matt Ressing, has been a certain case that talked about fresh language and obscenity and other things. Matt, I'm going to let you uh, set us up uh, for this one. I'm sure I'll have some questions to interject at oh, sure. points. Well, first of all, I, should, I say I'm not going to say anything obscene on this broadcast, but I may say some things that are indecent or scandalous. Yeah, so obscene has a particular definition in the law, but but uh, we're, we're talking about today are really dirty words and whether you can register them as trademarks. I've been following this case as it moved its way up from the lower courts. It has to do with trademark registration, which is governed by a statute called the Lanham Act. And what this statute says is you can put your stamp on a word or a phrase. So think McDonald's, I'm loving it, okay? Or the name Georgia College or the Bobcat symbol. These are all registered trademarks, meaning they're being used for commercial purposes. No one else can use them. So the issue in this case, Brunetti, is can you trademark a swear word, particularly the word F-U-C-T, Brunetti runs a skatewear company. It's been around for a while. And one of his main brands is F-U-C-T. You know, say it with me. <laughs> right. So uh, <laughs> the Vanamax says you cannot register or we won't register disparaging, immoral, or scandalous marks. And for years, if someone tried to trademark anything that the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office thought was disparaging, immoral, or scandalous, they would say no. They reject the application. Okay? This became a big issue a few years ago with the Washington Redskins, okay? so the, support, the uh, sports team from my former hometown, Washington, D.C. There were a number of people who felt that the use of the word Redskins, which could be seen by some as a racial slur against Native Americans, was disparaging. And therefore, maybe you couldn't stop them from saying it, but you could at least prevent them from profiting off of it as a registered trademark. And the Redskins were sued. However, before their case got to the Supreme Court, another case kind of jumped in front of them. That was the case Matal v. Tam. It involved a band of Asian Americans that called themselves the Slants. And they wanted to trademark their band name. And they were rejected by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. They said, look, we know you're kind of using this as a joke or maybe as a way of reappropriating an ethnic slur, but it is an ethnic slur. You can't, you can call yourselves the slants, but you can't trademark it. So basically, everybody can call themselves the slants. You don't own it. The slants took this case to the Supreme Court and they won. So the Supreme Court, this was last year, struck down the Lanham Act's prohibition on disparaging marks. Good news for the Washington Redskins, okay, and good news for the slants. However, they did not address the second part, immoral or scandalous marks. So that's what this case does. You know, is that part also unconstitutional because it violates the First Amendment? 
You know, I think it's, it's interesting that this becomes a, a freedom of speech question. Uh, and I guess uh, the obscenity questions have always been about the freedom of speech. How did the justices look at this? So it was not a close question. This wasn't a 5-4 case. It was actually a 7-2. Kagan wrote the opinion, and it was Roberts and Breyer, so a you know conservative and a liberal, that uh, were the two dissenters. And the way Kagan and the majority looked at it is that basically this restriction says that we are discriminating against your viewpoint. If you want a trademark that says a certain thing that we kind of all as a society agree with or feel like is okay, then we'll allow it. But if you say something that we deem immoral, that's bad. So in other words, you could register your say no to drugs as a federal trademark. In fact, that is a registered trademark. But you probably couldn't register say yes to drugs because someone might see that as immoral uh, or scandalous. Kagan said, you know, that's viewpoint discrimination. That's discriminating against words based on their content. And under traditional First Amendment case law, you can't do that. Or at least you have to have a really, really good reason to do it. She came up with a lot of examples that she gave about these things that had disfavoring certain ideas, including marijuana cola, but religious-minded uh, folks not being uh, accepting of the idea of a Madonna wine. Or uh, Now, I had not heard about this one, but baby Al-Qaeda is another one that she brought out in this message um, about it as well. Sure. So, you know, the, the First Amendment is intended, or at least that's what Supreme Court case law has said. It, it protects un. Uh, Uncomfortable viewpoints, viewpoints that society might otherwise reject. You can't stifle those. And she said, look, these night, you know, marijuana soda might not be my cup of tea, but, uh, you know, if you're going to allow RC Cola to register it, why can't, why not, you know, marijuana cola? In fact, they kept it pretty tame. That was one of the interesting things about the Supreme Court oral argument is everyone was expecting, okay, they're going to be dropping F-bombs here, uh, you know, cover the children's ears. Uh, but in fact, they, they kept it pretty PG. They got it. Well, I'd say they argument. actually got very, um, a new word that I learned, uh, pedantic, um, <laughs> the equivalent of the past participle form of a well-known word for, of profanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's how one of the, the uh, lawyers arguing this case described, you know, the word because, uh, you know, he didn't want to say that in the hallowed halls of the Supreme Court. Also, Kavanaugh's kids were there that day, which may have also, you know, influenced them. And in fact, when they he has young children, they came in with his wife. And when they announced this case, everyone was like, uh-oh. You know, what's going to happen? But they kept it pretty tame. I have no such scruples. But it's a fascinating case because three of the justices, Roberts and Breyer, who dissented, and Sotomayor, who didn't dissent but kind of, you know, went along with this, said, well, maybe there is a difference between immoral and scandalous. You know, immoral is really a value judgment, but scandalous, you know, certain words are just dirty. You don't have to say, you know, F-U-C-T. You know, what message are you really conveying with that? You know, why not pick another brand and it would still get your message across? So they wanted to draw a distinction between the mode of expression, the swear word, and the idea it conveys. They say, we're not going to suppress ideas, but we might suppress the way in which you express them. However, I think that's really undercut by what the majority said about this particular brand. So they said, F-U-C-T doesn't just sound like a swear word, but if you look at it within the context of the T-shirts and hats and things that they put it on, it conveys a, a nihilistic, misogynist message. So they have pictures of women next to it, you know, pictures of different scenes that at least, you know, I'm not too familiar with the clothing line, but the justices said this is presenting a certain lifestyle that people see as negative. I actually think that protects them more 
because that seems to indicate it's not just about a dirty word. It's about conveying these nihilistic, misogynistic, offensive views, which receive strong protection under the First Amendment. Right. And of course, in our earlier conversation, you talked about the interesting ways that these cases find their way to the Supreme Court. Was there anything interesting in the way that this brand uh, battled its way from not being able to trademark this in their different court cases on the way to the Supreme Court? So I don't know too much about you know Brunetti's decision making and bringing this case, but he certainly was aware that once Mattel v. Tam was decided, he had a pretty good shot at this. And in fact, you know, what I found is that, so he had registered the word F-U-C-T, you know, years ago, or attempted to register, was denied. Now, after the Mattel v. Cam Tate case was decided, he knew his case is working its way through the system. He knows he's got a pretty good shot at this. He's probably going to win. So what he did is he then went on and registered F-U-C-K for a variety of different apparel. And in fact, if you go on the USPTO website, you can search for all the terms that have been registered and you will see that Brunetti has, you know, registered for many different varieties of products. Another question I had is, well, what about once this was decided, once the Supreme Court, if you're not as aggressive as Brunetti, you might be waiting to register your dirty word until you see if he wins. And one of the things the justices said in dissent is this is just going to open the floodgates. Our trademark roles are going to be filled with filth. So I was kind of curious whether that came to pass. And what I found is that the very day that the Supreme Court awarded Brunetti his victory, there were many, many people that registered just different variations of this word. And uh, I'd, I'd like to just know, simply that can, word. Well, please, I mean, can, you're can I give to you a few? Yeah, yes. if you don't mind, but please get your bleeper ready. Um, so, on the very day that Brunetti was decided, there were registrations of off, drunk as, high as, jolly as, polite as, sophisticated, zero, which is a cookbook, by the way. There is a collectible action figure called Alaskan Thunder. There's the diet and a self-help book called Un yourself and then uh you know made my favorite you you these are all now federally registered trademarks and you have mr brunetti to thank i don't want to thank mr brunetti because of course when we think about trademark uh, it takes off different words from the vocabulary that you can use and other things that you can say on on Netflix television shows and other things without the safety of getting sued. <laughs> I see it in a different light from our justices, and it's a, an act of vandalism against our free use of the language. Well, you know, so that's a, that's a fair point. And I, I think that was actually the point of the uh, Washington Redskins case, is they knew they could not prevent the, the team from Washington from using the name Redskins. But what they were trying to do by invalidating their trademark was allow everyone to use it. So you're right. If I want to print a t-shirt now that says the word I could be sued by Brunetti. It has actually reduced the use of this dirty word in common conversation. But I actually see this as a, a pretty serious case because it opens the door to a lot of interesting questions regarding First Amendment jurisprudence. For one thing, the justices have pretty clearly said that dirty words are protected. In fact, immoral and scandalous words are protected, at least in this context. So what does that mean for the discussion over hate speech, for example? A racial slur, presumably, can now be trademarked. And if the federal government's protecting in that sense, 
could I really be fired for calling a colleague a racial slur? Or could I claim, you know, First Amendment freedom of speech? What about hate speech on campus, which is something campus administrations have really tried to stifle? That might be violating First Amendment principles if you are a, you know, state school or federally funded school. I'm also curious how this case squares with a case from a few terms ago called Texas versus Sons of Confederate Veterans. And that was a case involving a license plate. It was a, a vanity plate, a custom plate that this group would regularly you know, have the state issue for them, and it had a Confederate flag on it, stars and bars on it. The state of Texas wasn't comfortable with this, and they said, you know, we're not printing those for you this year. And the Sons of Confederate Veterans sued. And they said, you can't stifle our speech. You can't say it's okay to print a little, you know, state bird of Texas on your plate, but it's not okay to print a Confederate flag. That's viewpoint discrimination. The Supreme Court a few terms ago found in favor of Texas. They said, you don't have to put this stars and bars on your license plate. But the justification was that a license plate is not private speech. It's government speech. And therefore, the government can control it and the First Amendment doesn't apply. What I'm very curious about is if a license plate printed and issued by the government is government speech, why are the trademark rules not government speech? So you can't get a Confederate license plate, but you could get a nice engraved certificate from the U.S. Trademark Office with the racial slur of your choice on it. And I don't think the court has really addressed that disparity. And I, I think it just comes down to these are, these are difficult questions. And this is certainly not the end of this debate over how far First Amendment goes to protect you. But what would be the end of it? And could there possibly be an end? What is the dream case that you can devise for us on the spot that would further these arguments in the way that you would like to see them go? I don't think there is a case. And, and I don't even know if there's a certain ideal I'm looking for. I would just like to see consistency. Or if there's inconsistencies, I'd like to see the justices address that square on and say, okay, this is why a license plate is different from the trademark rolls. And if there isn't really a difference, then I think they have to you know, square those precedents with each other. The Supreme Court is in a tough position where they are really in charge of coming up with different rules for very complex issues. And it's hard to boil down such a complex and divisive issue like free speech and the power to say offensive things in a cohesive, bright line rule. And I think that that's the struggle we're seeing here. Well, I'm not sure where to go from there, but I will thank you. Well, Matt, that is, I think what people tune into this for is, is what you bring to this court, uh, because, you know, it is uh, the, the cultural questions of our time, some of them that we can um, have a... a Bali time talking about, <laughs> and some of them that do come to matters of life and death and other things that really define the way that we live in this democratic experiment. Uh, so I thank you. It's my pleasure.